0: What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone.
1: Today we continue our series on grace every day. We are exploring the places where we find God's grace, sometimes in surprising and unexpected places. We started with Noah's story, looking at nature and the need to be patient even when life doesn't go the way we want it to. Then last week we saw how Moses would have these incredible face-to-face encounters with God. And even though Israel rebelled against God, Moses' connection with God meant grace was offered to others. We can do that too, offering divine grace when we are deeply connected with God. So grace is available not only to us, but to our friends and neighbors. It's up to us to deepen our connection with God so others can experience grace too. Now we look at a story that's not so popular. In fact, it might seem quite weird to us today. It's about Ezra, who was a priest when the Israelites were in exile in Babylon. When they came back to their homeland, he was instrumental in rebuilding the temple and the wall in the capital of Jerusalem. Some believe Ezra also wrote the book of Nehemiah, First and Second Chronicles, and Malachi. Malachi might have just been a pen name. So Ezra is a pretty important guy. He has a, a huge influence on Judaism and is a hero to many. So let's hear his story read by Anon. The people have returned to Jerusalem. The foundation for the temple has been laid, and Ezra has heard a disturbing report of marriages that he believes to be bad for Israel. This is his response from the book of Ezra, chapter 9, verses 5 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord.
0: At the evening sacrifice, I got up from my fasting with my garments and my mantle torn, and fell on my knees, spread out my hands to the Lord my God, and said, Oh, my God, I am too ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors to this day, we we have been deep in guilt, and for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been handed over to the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame, as is now the case. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord, our God, who has left us a remnant and given us a stake in his holy place, in order that we may brighten our eyes and grant us a little sustenance in our slavery. For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery but has extended to us his, his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to give us a new life to set up the house of a Lord to repair its ruins and to give us a wall in Judea and Jerusalem. And now, o, o our God, what shall we say about this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants the prophets, saying, The Lord that you The land that you are entering to possess is a land unclean with the pollutions of the peoples of the land with their abominations. They have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, so that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever.
1: From Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God from age to age, for wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons, deposes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, your grace surrounds us. Everywhere is a place to see your grace at work, in nature and animals at work and in our friends. As we look at our families, help us to see not just a better way, but the best way. Our goal is a life lived like Jesus Christ and nothing short of it. Bless us as we seek your way. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Even though it was the start of a new season, last week I was afraid to say the word football. Uh, In week one of the National Football League, the New York Jets had beaten my home team, the Buffalo Bills, uh, and the Giants. Well, that was a forgettable game against a hated opponent. But then in week two, a few things changed. Every New York team was one and one until Thursday, another forgettable game. And I feel like I can finally say football in church and not get a tomato thrown at me. Uh, In another part of the football world, though, there's been a big story brewing. For some, professional football doesn't hold a candle against college football. And in college football, there is only one story people are talking about, Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes. Last year, the Buffaloes were 1-11, and lost almost every game by more than 25 points, and took 12th place out of 12 teams. They were truly awful. And then in the offseason, they hired Dion Sanders to be the new head coach. He gutted the team with 80% of players leaving with his hire. A bunch of new players joined and a new season started. The first game was against TCU, who were 12-0 in 2022 and got to play in the college playoff final. They got beat bad, but many expected them to be a great team in 2023. And their first game of the season was against... The Colorado Buffaloes. Colorado won the game in dramatic fashion, and the football world went wild. Colorado won again in week two, and last week they won in overtime. They were 3-0 and after winning only one game the previous season. Deion Sanders was everywhere from pregame shows to news and internet, even in a 60 Minutes interview. Sanders, who goes by the nickname Prime because he's always ready for prime time, had turned a football team around. He made a team that was the worst to... Well, not the worst. Uh, after yesterday's game where they got beat bad by a ranked opponent who is very good, maybe some of the hype will finally die down. And I want you to know I wrote that sentence On Thursday before the game was played. Uh, Experts predicted the team to be five and four later in the season so they went from unranked and considered worse than many other um, more than a hundred other teams to 19th and soon they'll have a new rank. I tell you all this not because I love football but because the situation at the University of Colorado reveals an important reality in life. Sometimes things are good and sometimes things are bad. Deion Sanders was a great player in his day in both football and baseball, but he wasn't great every day. A few years ago, he helped turn around another football program in Mississippi, and clearly good things are happening in Colorado, but neither program is perfect. Some people say Prime's team has players with flash, and I like that. Flash can be good, but it also means sometimes you aren't flashy. Sometimes, as a player, you can be downright mediocre. Some days you win, and some days you lose. Throughout a lifetime, you'll have your ups and downs. Graduation, a new job, marriage, a new child, a foreign adventure, or winning the big game can all be the greatest highlights of a person's life. But we can also experience a setback. Maybe it's school or work, a relationship that doesn't go the way we want it to, an unexpected loss, or a trip we've been looking forward to just doesn't go the way we had hoped. I have a trip coming up that I booked a year in advance and just found out the owner canceled my booking. I'm now scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. It's going to be impossible for the trip to be what I had imagined it to be, life does not always turn out the way that we want it to. Sometimes we lose, and sometimes we lose really big. So the bad news is that things aren't easy, that we'll struggle, and setbacks will take longer than expected. I can even guarantee some failure along the way. But the good news is that a certain mindset, when those things happen, can change the way that we see them. Maybe you've heard of the differences in a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. In a fixed mindset, we want to look smart, we uh, like to know what we're doing. Uh, we uh, tend to avoid challenges, give up when there is obstacles. We see effort as fruitless or worthless. We ignore criticism and feel threatened when others succeed. That's a pretty dire mindset, if you ask me, yet how often do we catch ourselves thinking exactly like this? We don't want to look bad. We don't want to waste our time when things will never change. Yet, on the other side of the growth mindset that embraces challenges, persists when facing setbacks, sees effort as a path to mastery, learns from criticisms, and sees the success of others as inspirational, there's something beautiful on that side, isn't there? Can you see that difference in mindset, and how that can change things. Now, don't take, uh, don't take from this that we should ignore clouds in the sky. This doesn't mean we say everything is always bright and cheerful and perfect, even when it's not. This is not rose-colored glasses. What it means is that there is an opportunity even when things are bad. It means even when we lose in prime time, next time we are going to come back better and stronger and faster. We are going to turn a season of obstacles into a season of persistence. Let's look at our scripture for today and see how this connects. I have to offer my apologies here. This is not a straightforward connection. This is probably one of the more complicated things to learn and understand about the scripture. So bear with me here. Sometimes we look at the Bible and think, this whole book describes God's perfect will. If you think that, I'm certain you've either never read the Bible or haven't dealt with the problems this thinking brings. So often the Bible simply describes things as they are, not necessarily saying what God wants them to be. That's why study and interpretation is so important. In parts, it is a literal history of different nations. Sometimes we hear a character in the Bible tell something, and we assume that person is telling us what is right and good and true, but that is not always the case. For instance, in 2 Chronicles, which Ezra would have written, the king is planning to go to battle and asks all 400 prophets in the land if he should go and fight, and they say, yes. Then they realize there is one more prophet, Micaiah, who is missing, but the king hates him because he always says bad things. The king decides to hear him anyways, and Micaiah, when asked to go to see the king, says, As the Lord lives, whatever my God says, I will speak the truth to the king. He's a truth teller, and he won't back down, right? Then he's before the king, and the king asks him the question, whether he'll be successful in battle, and Micaiah says... Go and triumph. Yep, you'll win. Don't worry. It's the exact opposite of what the king expected. So the king says, no, no, you can tell me what God really says. So Micaiah speaks again in this co- time, completely changes his answer. He says, you'll be crushed and the soldiers will scatter. Wait, what? Why did this prophet change his answer? Why would God say one thing, triumph, and then immediately switch to defeat. The reason is that the Bible is not describing exclusively God's view here. This is history. This is a story with back and forth, with context and nuance. Sometimes the Bible just tells us what is, even if it's not describing how we should live our lives. In those moments, I believe it's actually teaching us a very different kind of lesson. And that's what we see at times in the book of Ezra, where we hear about the foundation of the temple in Jerusalem. Generations before, it had been destroyed, and as they returned, they lay a new foundation for a new temple. It says the older people who had seen the original temple wept with a loud voice when they saw it, and many people shouted for joy. So was the new foundation a good thing or a bad thing? the scripture isn't making a clear declaration one way or the other. It's simply saying some people saw it and were so sad about how small it was as they continued to grieve the loss of the first temple. And for some, they had never even had a temple before. This was new and seemed like a blessing from God. The scriptures simply record what happened and different people understand it differently. In chapter 9 Ezra hears about mixed marriages. Some Israelite men are marrying foreign women and vice versa, and he is overcome with grief. On its surface, this might seem like a pretty straightforward story. Marrying foreign women is bad. Israel broke the rules, so they will suffer until they change their ways. Ezra prays to God. The people realize their guilt, and they send the foreign women and children away so they are pure and holy once again. That's where the book of Ezra ends, but that way of reading the story is pretty close to a fixed mindset, if you ask me. Let's go back and examine it with eyes of grace and see if we can learn a bigger and better lesson from this story. Right after the foundation of the temple is laid and the people celebrated, another group comes to them. These were Israelites, too, but they had never been captured and exiled to Babylon like Ezra and his community. So there are differences between them. The Israelites that had never been exiled, who had always lived in Israel, asked Zerubbabel, who is a governor of Babylon, and basically the king of the exiled Jews, who had returned, ask him, "'Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, "'and we have been sacrificing to him all along.'" To me, that seems like a very reasonable request, but what does Zerubbabel do? Does he welcome this help, uniting together, family, separated by war and generations? No, he says, you shall have no part with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord. And that touches off a low-level war between these two groups. The people with Ezra and Zerubbabel on one side and the natives on the other. Later on, when the marriages between these two groups is revealed to Ezra, he mourns it, then tells the people to divorce their foreign spouses. So here's the thing. Ezra isn't quoting a scripture or telling us a command from God. He's just telling the people what he thinks they should do. I think of some of the people I've known who tell me about their marriages. One person told me once that they were Catholic and their wife was a Lutheran, so they joined the Methodist Church as a compromise. All right, that's pretty good. When they got married 50 years ago, their parents told them that it would never work between a Catholic and a Lutheran. I've heard people say the same thing about Calvinists and Pentecostals and Methodists. It seems funny today, but maybe there were some things back then that made it harder to work. Now we see, see people with all kinds of differences having successful marriages and thriving spiritual lives despite their differences. Now, don't get me wrong. When things are similar, it can make things a whole lot easier on a marriage. You don't have to sit and talk through differences, compromising in this area or in another. And when it comes to our religion, to our faith, we think we should never compromise. We should never change. We've got it all right, and the other person has it all wrong. But we know that's not true. We don't have things perfect for ourselves, let alone in any one church, The growth mindset reminds us there are plenty of obstacles between us and the life God would have for us. The goal is to embrace them as opportunities. What Ezra gets right is when he says, God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love to give us new life. Ezra recognizes that God is giving them another chance. When they marry the foreigners, it would mess up the economy and land ownership, but more importantly, it would weaken their commitment to God. Because of God's great love for Israel, God has given them another chance. They can make it right. So the goal is not divorce someone who doesn't believe like you or think like you. No, the goal is whatever season of life you are in, wherever you find yourself, find a way to strengthen your relationship with God. When you find obstacles in the way, don't get stuck in a fixed mindset that says, woe is me, nothing can help, nothing will ever improve. Keep working, keep growing, keep at your relationship with God because God's favor, God's grace, can find us at any moment, especially through the relationships we have with loved ones, even when they think differently from us, even when they are challenging. One of the best things we can do when we are in a challenging season is to reopen the lines of communication with someone. Start talking again. My wife, Emily and I have uh, better and worse seasons. One thing we just sort of fell into recently is when I take the dog for a walk in the morning, she has started joining me. Our conversations were about our hopes and dreams. We put work and schedules on hold for just this little window of time so we can grow a closer connection. That's so good for our relationship. And the same thing is good for our connection with God. Good communication can help us get to the right mindset for whatever may come our way. Find those ways of communicating with others, even in troubled relationships, but make sure even more that you are communicating with God. Think back on the things you've loved that have connected you with the Lord. Do that again and do more of it to help you in this season you find yourself in. So let's end with this. Uh, Michael Lindsay is a president of a college, and he shares about the birth of his oldest daughter, Elizabeth. They quickly knew something wasn't quite right with her developmentally. When she was four months old, their pediatrician said, well, I don't know what to say, but something is definitely wrong with your little girl. He said, "I I found it difficult to breathe. Grief overtook us and made it hard to get out even basic words we prayed hard that our worst fears wouldn't live themselves out but we dreaded that they would after three years of tests and specialists Elizabeth was diagnosed with an extremely rare genetic disorder she is only one of 500 people or so with this known, uh, with known cases in the world and there is no cure it involves profound cognitive disability, legal blindness, and many challenges with internal organs. Michael says that parenting Elizabeth has been what he calls a heavy joy, filled with profound challenges, but also lots of happy moments has also taught him and his wife key lessons about being transformed by Christ. He writes, Elizabeth is not drawn to fame or promotion. She reflects a more authentic way of Christian living, one that is less interested in appearances or achievement. She takes pleasure in simple things, the taste of vanilla ice cream, the thrill of reaching heights in the backyard swing, the delight of listening to songs with a good beat and a familiar melody, And Elizabeth is genuinely happy when she pleases her father, clapping for herself when she hears my affirmations. Having Elizabeth in our family has helped us see the importance of vulnerability and simple obedience to Christ. The challenges bring a way of being that opens us up to fully pleasing the Lord in our call. So, whatever season you may find yourself in, ask yourself, how am I opening myself up to the call of God? How are you inviting the obstacles you face to grow you? It takes more than having a great team or great relationships around you. It takes more than a shift even of your mindset. Nothing short of a commitment of everything to God could answer the Lord's call on your life, and it begins when you open yourself up to the Lord. As Martin Luther King Jr. once said, our very survival depends on our ability to stay awake, to adjust to new ideas, to remain vigilant, and to face the challenge of change. I invite you to see God's grace at work in this season of change in your life. Amen? Amen
0: or everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.